Hi, welcome to another edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. This is John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer Now. And today it is midweek. Uh, we're already on a Tuesday, uh, April 19th, middle of the middle of the week, middle of April. And we uh, will take a break uh, from talking about the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, the Riverhounds who are now two, one and three overall. And we'll be playing in El Paso this Saturday. So look um, on Pittsburgh Soccer now for more on that to come. Of course, they are trying to build off some momentum, having come off a win at home. And for first home win, uh, there are only two matches uh, so far uh, early in their season have been at home. And it was great to see a sellout crowd. Great for Pittsburgh Soccer and exciting stuff. So the Pittsburgh Riverhounds now are, uh, like I said, looking to uh, build on that momentum. They have to go to, again, it's early in the season. A lot of tough matches are going to be on the road. And, um, of course, that will happen again. They're going to go to El Paso this Saturday evening. And we'll be on the lookout for, we may have a very special announcement. Pittsburgh Soccer now come uh, probably by the end of the week. Uh, about some of our coverage, our Riverhounds coverage coming up for the rest of the season. Um, pretty excited about uh, what might be coming. Uh, we'll talk more about that in the coming days. Um, so just a little teaser there for you regarding our exciting um, coverage for the Riverhounds this season, uh, at least for the rest of the way. Um, yeah, so if you haven't had a chance, check out my takeaways and player grades. Uh, in terms of the uh, win at home against Rio Grande Valley uh, FC, the Toros, the Hounds were the better team. They were the better team throughout the night. Uh, they really stifled the Toros. I think we're starting to see their defense really take into step up and really do their thing uh, in terms of limiting opponents' ability to create scoring chances. Um, so that's, uh, you know, in terms of Pittsburgh soccer, that's good. We also have, uh, we're in a, a bit of a, a period where now pretty much all of the so the college soccer teams have <clears throat> either wrapped up or will be wrapping up their spring seasons. We really don't put a lot of time and attention uh, into covering the spring season, but looking forward to some conversations probably in the coming weeks, uh, we will look at talking to some people involved in some of the college soccer programs. So I'm excited about that. And starting to look ahead to the fall when everything, uh, you know, will happen again. Um, and it's always a mad dash, you know, because it's going to happen. August comes and next thing you know, everybody's playing. It's a mad dash. It's two, two and a half month season and then it's over. So we're, uh, we'll be kind of beginning to plan and start to do a little bit more here on this podcast, talking about the collegiate side uh, as we prepare for the fall 2023 season. But uh, as of now, though, I'm very excited. We have a special guest, and he's going to be from Manchester uh, 62 FC. And you're wondering, what? Who's that? Uh, and if you haven't uh, heard or followed Pittsburgh Soccer Now's coverage, uh, Pittsburgh City United and that team that came out of nowhere, uh, led by uh, the kind of the vision of Michael Monsoor. Uh, Michael has uh, since uh, his exciting uh, moment of being here and owning and operating a fourth division level club is what Pittsburgh City United were, um, has since become the primary owner of the 
Manchester 62 FC, it's a football club. They're based in Gibraltar. And the club was previously known as Manchester United and in honor of the um, English club. Um, but they changed into 2013 to the Manchester 62. Uh, and so the, there's been he's had some success with the, with the program. And uh, it's a really kind of an exciting thing that um, Michael has done as part of the takeover. Um, you know, he followed the lead of Pittsburgh uh, City United in terms of what they're doing, wearing mandated, uh, mandating um, protective headgear for its players. And uh, that's been pretty exciting that Michael has been on this. He's been on this mission, if you will, to promote safe, you know, safety in terms of head safety uh, for soccer players. And, and he's had some publicity on the European side being and he's in Gibraltar now. Um, and he's had some success with the team. So good for him. And there's been some carryover with uh, some players. Uh, he brought over uh, from the United States, from here in Pittsburgh, uh, Marquise Flowers, if you may or may not know. Uh, Marquise played uh, at Plum, uh, is a Plum native. So that's pretty exciting that Marquise has got the opportunity to uh, to be part of that team. And so there's a little bit of a Pittsburgh connection there, obviously, Michael as well, uh, being from from our region and our area. So we're uh, going to talk to Michael shortly, and it should be a, a fun conversation, as always. Uh, Michael is very excited about and we'll learn more about this incredible adventure. I think he's been uh, doing this. He's, he's made the move. Uh, it's been about a year uh, or maybe a little bit less than a year, but somewhere around that time. And so we'll get to learn more about his uh, his adventures uh, in Gibraltar. And he was back home last week for a brief period. Uh, we were going to try to connect with him at that point, but we were not able to. So uh, we'll look forward to talking to Michael uh, shortly here. Try to keep it, uh, keep it tight here. All right. So anyway, this is John Krasinski uh, back here with Michael Monsoor. Michael, uh, it's great to see you again. Uh, here we have you here on the Sounding Off on Soccer podcast, but the, the, you're you've been on an adventure. I would say it's almost been about a year. Uh, you contacted me. You said, "John, something really big. This is going to be something really great." Uh, and I had no idea, you know, what was coming. But uh, you you fed me some some trinkets and some little the bits, scoop, some scoop. Uh, and of course, I I was careful not to let the cat out of the bag too soon, but. We were we were really excited for you when we learned that you would be, first of all, moving across the pond, if you will, and and ended up in Gibraltar of all places. Uh, it's been quite an adventure. Why don't you fill us in a little bit? Maybe take us from when you, you know, when you made the trip, to begin what the experiences were like in the beginning, and just about the origins of your involvement with manchester yeah. 62 fc yeah um it's there was a, a pretty powerful moment um with the experience with city united you know throughout that whole season there were so many incredible moments but uh -huh. there was a really powerful moment in regards to that moment where we lost the semifinal. you know the extra in, in extra time and we had gone through a lot of things that I think are very normal for lower division clubs. You know what I mean? Challenges. Um, You're referring to Pittsburgh City United. 
Yes, Pittsburgh City United. Yes, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yes. So with Pittsburgh City United. So we we uh we face a lot of challenges. They're very common, you know, with uh with smaller division clubs. Um I think changed a lot of minds and, and made a great impact on, on so many different levels, but at the same time it was a very real struggle. I mean, um I think that's what sparked the you know, the series is the mission itself, but it's not just like a sports documentary. So we're talking about more than a game, uh, which is a doc series that covered the last twenty months of um, a pretty credible adventure and journey uh, that's been in the world of football. And I remember talking to the players at the game, which is probably not to give it away, but like the last scene in the first episode, uh, which the first episode covers the whole experience um, of that year as City United. And um, and I just told the players, I mean, at the time, honestly, I had nothing in the bank account. I had given everything uh, I possibly could to make sure that the dream stayed alive and the mission stayed alive and the players, you know, were able to have the season they had. And, um, and I had no direction. I knew what I wanted. I knew the mission, but I didn't have the funds to do it. And something about that moment where I promised the players, I said, listen, I'm going to find an avenue for this mission to go farther because no one will remember who won the cup this year. They will remember the team that, that made a sacrifice, you know, a true sacrifice for, you know, for the healthcare workers and to spread awareness and and to be more than than just a football club. And um, that was the mission. I don't mean to interrupt. Huh? You, but I just want to just set the table a little bit because you're you're talking about you know City United at the end of that season. And so, if someone, most people in Pittsburgh soccer have followed Pittsburgh soccer probably know that this you know you you brought City United into the fold in 2021. Yeah, June, June of twenty. I'm just trying to kind of set the timeline. Yeah. So it was we were it was like news to all of us, and then you you brought them into competition, uh, playing in the fourth division, and as you said, it was quite an experience. And I think you were at that moment when you lost in the playoff, or even when you lost in the Open Cup qualifier effort. You know, which you you yeah. you tried to do a lot of things. And you tried to accomplish a lot of things in a very short period of time. And I'm hearing your emotions and I'm hearing you talk about that. And yet at the same time, you had this incredible mission statement and that you were trying to accomplish that too. Um, so I'm just sort of, you know, capturing all that. I'm hearing that coming from, I just wanted to kind of set that up. But yeah, that's, so there you are in that moment in whatever it was, November, 2021, and you're talking to your team and it's like you said you wanted to take it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. That was, um, I, I, you know, I, I reminded them of of what this was about and that this was going to go farther. I, I didn't have a plan. I, I mean, I had. I'll say this: I had a plan, but I did not have the means to be able to say this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. Except I said it because I believed it, and that night. Um, where I'm sure most coaches, you know, or <laughs> I see motors like go home and they they sulk and, you know, probably have a glass of scotch or whatever and try to think of the positive things like coming back from a funeral type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I went right, right to my office. I started to work. And um, and six months later, I find myself, you know, uh, announcing, you know, well, texting you prior to that and announcing um, that I was uh, the new owner, uh, Manchester 1962, which is the year of their 60th celebration. Uh, they've been around for 60 years in the top flight of Gibraltar. 
Um, they were originally Manchester United Gibraltar. So there's actually a Manchester United Gibraltar, I think, team trophy in the Manchester United Museum, which is quite fascinating. So there's a great relationship and a history with Busby and, and whatnot. So I found myself at the um, at the stage where I, I thought that would be the most effective for what we were trying to accomplish. Um, and of course, the reaction once I got there was was amazing. Um, you know, the, from the positive side, it was if you told me seven months ago, I'd be like on the season finale guest on BBC Radio 5. And I'm talking to like you know, Ralph Lawrence who goes on ESPN, all these things. I would have been like, you're crazy. But it was, but this mission matters and it connects with people and it, it just won't stop connecting with people. Was it difficult after? Yeah. I mean, I was very fortunate. I didn't realize how fortunate I was uh, to not see the negative side of, um, you know, trying to propose what I keep saying, I think is a very, is sustaining and protecting the tradition of football, which is protective headgear. Um, so the heading doesn't get banned in football. You know, let's make an effort. Let's let's look at our brains the way we look at our shins. I mean, it's sad to say, it's just, it sounds silly when you say it, and yep. yet it's an absolute fact. Um, but at the time, I'm coming to, you know, a country that's the fifth oldest football federation um, in, in the world. Um, and I'm the, I think, first American owner, I believe. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that I want to do protective hacker. It was not, and not as easy as a transition as you could imagine. And that's nothing. People at Gibraltar are amazing. Um, they're, they're incredible. But again, I realized that I'm in a different level and I realized that the players, et cetera, that, that we're going to have to, they're going to have to see what I was so fortunate to see on the pitch, you know, as a, as a manager with city United, um, to see the reaction of your, when you're truly fighting for something more um than just the game itself the pressures of everything else your brand your career your sponsors blah blah blah, just goes out the window um but it was it just as hard 10 times harder i probably in a lot of ways yeah yeah it was um it was very difficult we did we signed some incredible players um i adapted very well thanks to things like you know well my my you know experience in the international transfer market i designed 23 players in one transfer window my first one yeah. Um, that was a lot. Yeah. So I you yeah, see the reactions failed. Yeah. yeah. And we failed and succeeded. Yeah. And you've got like Scotland, England, uh, Ukraine, you know, some different nationalities. Obviously, uh Marquise, I mentioned Marquise in the in my intro, uh, from Plum, obviously from the United States, and was part of the Pittsburgh City United team. So, you know, it it's it's it was did you was this I have so many questions, but one with the Gibraltar franchise was it mostly local based, or did did they have that much diversity before, or what type of roster was that something you had in mind, or is kind of you built? Yeah, it, well, it it was I would say it was definitely on the higher end. Um, the youth uh, program here is the best. Uh, you know, uh, we were fortunate. So the under twenty three is playing like the Division two, which used to be the Division two of Gibraltar, um, and we just won the cup. We won the league. Won the league last year. Uh, under 17s won the league this year won the league last year it's amazing and, and it's very gibraltar like based like most of the national team players i would say 30 percent or 35 percent are former manchester players um lincoln has won 14 straight titles gone to europa conference they for their players are former manchester City two players so i took over like the homegrown team you know what i mean like in so many ways um and we we actually what what part of what i wanted to do there was signing like Ethan Santos, you know, who was with Manchester when he was young, but became a probably the best, you know, one of the best uh, center backs, if not the best under the age of 24 in the entire league. 
was a former Manchester guy, went because of contract, you know, more opportunities, et cetera, went to another club. Signing him back to Manchester was huge. Uh, Jamie Bossio, same thing. So we, we, we did well in looking outside, you know, uh, outside the market, um, looking at the international opportunities. We definitely expanded that from where we were. Um, but we also really adhered to, that was important in the transfer window for me, to adhere to solidifying our base, um, which was getting the best, you know, we could in, uh, in local talent. You have, it's a five HGP role. Uh, it's switching, I think next year, um, to four, but that means five homegrown players on the pitch at all times. So I want you to do the math if you're looking at it. So Gibraltar, first division or not, 32,000 people. Do you know how many, uh, Gibraltarians that are of senior age that are even signed, you know, to play professional sports. So basically our league guarantees so 25 to 30% of Gibraltarian professional players have to be on the pitch at all times. I think it's amazing. I think it's a beautiful challenge. I think four is probably more respectful to work with. You know what I mean? Uh, Cause five is a lot at all times. Um, but, but it was just, you, you name the challenge and we faced it and, you know, nothing's like introducing something like protective headgear or, Alzheimer's partnership, you know, that's, it, it made me handle all of the nuances I think that existed, you know, over here with the rules, et cetera. And, and it, it, we did well, it's, you know, rough start, but an incredible ending. So, well, it, let's take, let me take me back to that six month period where you talked about, well, you know, if we went from November until the following year, when you made the announcement, what, how, Gibraltar, like what made you discover, what, you know, why Gibraltar, were you doing a worldwide search, trying to find a club somewhere where you can, can grow the mission? I'm sure that's the part of the yeah. conversation you and I had, but, but Gibraltar, like, you know, there were, okay. I, I have to admit there were a couple of us in the high, in the Highmark stadium press box. We were all taking um, bets like the week between like, when you said, Hey, it's going to be European. And we were like, okay, it's, it's, we were like, Going I remember back. that Lichtenstein one, I think, right? Jaron uh, Steele from the Squib <laughs> and a couple of uh, a couple of us, and we were like kind of excited about like, okay, where it, we knew it obviously wasn't going to be, you know, one of the big, huge domestic yeah. leagues. So it yeah. was, it was, and just you know, full transparency, we were we had a little yeah. bit of fun with it. Um, but then when you said Gibraltar, I I just immediately thought of like, this is such a cool, exotic place just to begin with. So yeah. that alone must be a lot of fun just to be there. But but just take us to how it became Gibraltar, how you ended up making yeah. it. Yeah, there, there was a lot of boxes um, that had to be checked. You know what I mean? And obviously, you know, cost effective is one thing, but you know, like it's, you can't just go and buy a, a club, you know, that works, you know what I mean, within the price range that you're going for and just expect to to make something special out of it. It needed to be, in a top division, you know, of them being in division one, you know, I mean, having the winner go to Champions League qualifying and Europa Conference, et cetera, um, that that's a huge avenue for us. Um, I also looked at things that the boxes in regards to how players would look at Manchester 62 from around the world. You know, I mean, you can come to Gibraltar. It's breathtaking. And on the left side of the rock, you're in the Mediterranean Sea. On the right side, the Atlantic Ocean, you have beaches, you have history, you have uh, incredible food, incredible people. So from a player's perspective uh, and also from building the brand of the club. And, you know, if we put the mission behind the brand and that's who we are, it's a great environment for people to come and experience and truly experience, you know what I mean? Uh, what we're trying to, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. And um, 
So those things were very important. Those are boxes that checked immediately. History was a big deal. Uh, I loved the idea. We talked about finding your own, founding your own clubs. Great. You know what I mean? Cause there's just something about that, that that's really special. I think if I, if I founded or, pur- or purchased an older club in the U S and converted to the mission stuff, I think it would have been probably to learn some things that I could have used in this last six months, but I don't think it would have had the same effect. Um, in Europe, we had to buy uh, a club with history. We had to take what we were doing and not try to give it the easiest opportunity to succeed, but rather, you know, the most challenging with the highest reward. And I think Gibraltar, I mean, 32,000 people, but it's like a 3.2 billion GDP and huge corporations are here. You know, the tourism's 10 to 11 million every year. U.S. hasn't even touched it. It's like they don't even know it exists. And it's a two hour flight from London. It's it's unreal. But now those doors are opening up. People are talking about it. They're communicating. You know, it's who knows in the future you could see, you know, Gibraltar Football League and the U.S. broadcasting service. You know, these things are are happening and what better place what right what better place a place that has the ability potentially old-fashioned yes traditional in in a lot of ways yes but all those are appealing if if you can connect they'll become your greatest advocates and that's what we're fighting for and tell me about has there been any connection uh obviously the club is named in honor of manchester united um is, is there been any connection or uh discussion or just have you had any contact with the with the big club is with there... the parent club yeah or with that parent club but in a lot of ways the founding right so the support yeah whatever whatever you want to call it um not directly uh the last living founder um clive moberly uh who's who's in the documentary also we had a, a 60th anniversary like appreciation game we brought our legends in which was amazing but uh he's a he's a massive you know supporter and actually Manchester United honored him this year, brought him on the field and gave him an award, et cetera. So there was that connection. Um, and then I think Daily News covered a story about our history that that trended pretty heavy um, in like UK Daily or something like that. But outside of that, I have to be honest, we've really, as, as much as we know that connection will continue and, and we'll continue to embrace it in some aspect. Right now we're on our own mission. You know what I mean? And Manchester 62 is, is, very quickly you know we've seen with the youtube success success etc like people said well how are you going to get a gibraltar team you know at that at that level of popularity and, and we're popular for the right reasons you know what i mean which is a big thing like young people who didn't think people cared about headgear or dementia or alzheimer's or anything like that like they're invested into our club you know when thogden did that video i mean to have 90 95 of comments being positive over something like wearing protective headgear I mean, these, these kids want to make a difference. Like we have fans now from all over the world who, who we've gotten communication from Scotland. This is my fa- second favorite team. This is my second team. And honestly, that is a goal. And it's an a- essence that City United still, you know, in its own way also exists. It's, it's you know, why people ask me, what's your goal for uh, Manchester 62? I said, I want to be the world's second favorite team because of what we do off the pitch, because the the effect it has. I want City United in its own way to have that same reflection, because one wouldn't exist without the other. Yeah, I think you're fighting for that. Uh, you got Wrexham to deal with. You have Ted Lasso's <laughs> fictional team. Um, every time somebody that looks like a Ted Lasso characters making their way around Pittsburgh, people like, oh, look who the Riverhounds have signed. Um, <laughs> but then there's, and so we want to push, we want to push, Manchester 62 forward uh, is another inspiring 
Uh, well, and you're an artist too. So, I mean, it, it's, it's done through art as well. Uh, in, in, so, I mean, yourself personally, I mean, to do, to, what has it been like for you just to have to go through this experience and you're so far away from home. I know you're, you know, Pittsburgh is part of your roots and yeah. you're an American, but in your family and all of that, like just to, to this whole experience, I, I'm sure it's been a whirlwind for you. Yeah, no, no, it has. Um, it's, you know, a lot of it, I think probably the series will be, you know, be able to show because it, it's, it seems so fantastical and exciting, John, you know, and um, it is, those parts are is, but it's much different when you're a parent or father, you know, father and, you know, in, in all the truth, as much as I love all of this, I, you know, rather, you know, I would trade it all for, you know, Pete's nights, you know, with the little ones and stuff like that. You know what I mean? That was fun. I was back home for a month during international break. It was the longest I'd been home all year. Uh, my youngest came up for like two months, but because of the transitions, you know, I mean, being new here and adjusting and the kids with school, um, you know, I've only been back four or five times. It's, it's definitely an underlying story. You know, it's beautiful to see the mission play out. My, my children have been so supportive and, and so incredible during all of this, but it is incredibly difficult. Like I, this is not, I, I'm not a wealthy man. You know I mean? What I'm doing isn't easy. Um, and I work very, very hard, but, um, to me as a father, like, you know, it's one of those things where it's never, it's never hard enough because until they're here, until they're settled, until I'm done convincing people that, you know, the sky is blue, which is how I look at this whole headgear situation, you know what I mean? Or that, you know, water is a good thing when you're, when you're stuck in the middle of a desert. That's how I feel uh, talking about like you know, the protective headgear. I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm pitching something that shouldn't have to be pitched. You know what I mean? Like, this this is over this discussion's over let's just adapt and move on you know let's protect lives and but it's a lot of work and uh and they understand that but yeah just sometimes does it feel you know to, if i were if i was thinking just about myself you know what i mean this would be absolutely impossible but my kids are, are proud knowing that you know we're fighting for something bigger so yeah and your you, the mission itself too how have you have you been able to make any inroads in terms of helping get other clubs, get other soccer organizations, other countries. Other, I, I don't even know where to start because it, yeah. it ripple effect because soccer is, is truly the most, maybe the most global, global team sport there is. Um, yeah. Has there been any breakthroughs? I know just by doing it, you're helping promote the cause. Yeah. Uh, has there been any other takers out there? That sort of thing. Yes. Yes, it's um, we're already starting to talk to clubs. Clubs are starting to approach us, uh, which is fantastic. And these are first division clubs about at least opening the conversation, you know, and, and building the engagement. Um, but I announced recently uh, when we partnered with Unequal Technologies, which if you look at the headband, I mean, you learn a lot, you know, I mean, so people understand the story. Manchester 62, we'd have two players or sometimes four or three. It wasn't the same with City United. And that's understandable. It's an adapting period. But they didn't wear the head, you know, headgear. The majority didn't. That was very hard for me. But I also understand the process. I'm first division. I can't force mandate. I get it. They mm -hmm. have to see it for themselves. The second they put the headgear on, January 21st, we haven't lost a league game. And that's and it's not because the headgear is because, the, I, in my opinion, I feel like we learned just how important it is. And I think the pressure was removed um, from us trying to, you know, 
amplify the fact that we know we're a great team. Now we're just playing together as a family and, and, and we're winning games. I saw that with City United. I'm, I'm so proud, so proud, because uh, I know the pressure that was on those players at Manchester that they did that. Um, now it's the next step. So season two, uh, funny enough, covers, because so we switched to Unequal. That was tough. I love full 90. I mean, everyone knows me and Tim have a great relationship. Um, but at the same time, you know, yeah, I've assessed what I've seen, you know what I mean? And what players want and, and what the comfort, et cetera. And, um, and I think it was time. It was just the right time for the switch. I mean, I'll always endorse, you know, I mean, all headgear companies, anyone trying to make protective hair is important, but with unequal, you're looking at what looks to be just a headband, you know what I mean? And yet when you look at the ratings at a five-star rating for Virginia tech, that's important. Like, you know, that, I mean, the Kevlar technology they're using, the fact that a few MLS players already use it, that four U.S. Uh, women's soccer players already use it. I needed, I needed that. I needed uh, the next partnership to go in and develop, which will be introduced in the end of May, um, the Global Football Headgear Initiative. And I announced that during the press conference. It is pretty much, and this is the set, like I talk about, you know, the sky is blue, right? So it's all these verifiable data, including the most recent case study from Sweden, uh, which showed that players, soccer players, are 50% more likely to get Alzheimer's dementia. That's, I mean, this is one of the top, you know, scientific groups that you could possibly imagine. It's a verifiable. We now know it's real. And that doesn't even include the, the issues with CTE and other aspects that come into it. There's a lawsuit right now currently against the FA with 30 family members um, of the former English uh, World Cup team. And that, that, you know, they're pushing lawsuit. Same attorney that's representing that is doing the rugby case. And that case has already pushed past appeals. This is happening, whether people like it or not. But I want to drive the stake in. And that means a football hacker initiative is just pulling every verifiable, confirmed report that discusses the dangers of concussions and subconscious and, fo and football, as well as the verifiable data on protective headgear. So it's not pitching one headgear or the other. We're saying, you know, this is an opportunity for the FA, and we'll, we'll, we'll have it to UEFA, but... I'm hoping the FA will look at this and at least, if anything, take the step forward. And the step forward is at least mandate that the these headbands, protective headbands, like I said, wherever they choose, you know, is available for their players during training. I, I, I'm not even asking for a mandated training, even though it would save you know people who, who don't realize you know that this is years and years of their life. Even though it could save millions of lives, the reality is, let's take a baby step if you want to take a baby step. But what I want to provide. Is, in, is a report that's not our own personal report, not a biased report, all of the verifiable data, and then the top experts in the world to confirm it. And then I don't know what UEFA can do. Hopefully they'll, they'll see that the sky is blue. And, uh, you know, and then, and I, you know, we, we can take a step forward. Now I can focus on fun stuff, you know, I mean, like uh, football, you know, <laughs> because like right now, you know, the truth is this is uh, this is what we who we are. And I told you this before. I said, if there's a cure for Alzheimer's, then we're going to it's see a need, fill a need in life. You have to find purpose. Um, we'll keep fighting and pushing these things until, you know, we feel that we've you know made that impact. And then it's once you fill the need, you find something else. Yeah, well, I, that is all duly noted. And I think that you know, this, at least on our end, we can promote it here in Pittsburgh. And I know, I don't know how much momentum, you know, in the States, but in the culture that we have right now, where, you know, safety is, is very important and to young people playing the game. And I think the, the parents and the culture that exists today, um, I think people are more willing to listen and willing to 
to do this. Uh, I also think, you know, I watch a lot of basketball, I play a lot and I, I, I watch a lot of basketball too. And I think about the, I mean, granted, you're not, you're, there's no headers, but there's a, you know, it's still a great point that that yeah. gear could potentially carry and carry over into, you know, there's some other sports. Yeah. It, it's it, a brilliant it, idea. You're right. You know, maybe are not at a higher level or the studies don't show dementia, but, you know, obviously soccer, but football, if you will, um, yes. it's on your side now. But this, you know, there's other potential sports, too, that should, I think, might want to be taking note as well. Um, but it, I know the other thing is the medical community in Pittsburgh. There have been some, you know, certain doctors and certain um, leaders here who who did take notice and were you know you you know you had had conversations with uh and i'm sure that's just ongoing all the time for you yeah it's um it's you have to balance the two the workload is heavier i thought city united could never work more in my life well it's twice that over here but the workload is heavy but in a good way if you're an advocate it's like you know you work in healthcare john you understand this i've worked in healthcare it's just what you do. You 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 eat, drink, and sleep. And so um, it's important for, for us to keep, you know, specifically myself to keep the finger on the pulse, you know what I mean, of what's going on so that we're constantly, the best way to educate is, you know, is to innovate. You know what I mean? To innovate to educate, which means create more opportunities, more avenues for, pe- for people to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Sometimes it's just basic asking the questions from our experts and, and gathering the knowledge and keeping as, where you're not the expert yourself, but you're at least aware enough to know that what you're doing or how you're doing it is the right way. I mean, it's just part of the, you know, it's just the yeah. daily routine at this point. So it's an honor though. I mean, come on, it keeps life, it keeps life interesting. I I, I would love, I would love a four hour uh, or 20 or, you know, maybe a, a half work day when I'm like 70 until then, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, well, just as we kind of wrap this, this, this yeah, up, um, just in terms of, the last couple of weeks and i know this maybe talk about that experience of the team's success and yeah. and also i i wanted to mention briefly i noticed i didn't realize it when i first started that i mentioned marquise but i did notice another pittsburgh city united player uh jeff blaska uh was also and i didn't realize he was from the virgin islands but he played collegiately in the states and then he came and played with you uh, pittsburgh city united uh, is also part of this uh group as well but uh, maybe just talk briefly about those two. Yeah, and- oh, yeah I mean, um, you know, it's it's funny. So our, in our first season, our leadership award winner was Marquise Flowers. Our defensive player of the year was Marquise Flowers. Our team MVP uh, was uh, Jeff Blaschko. And, uh, you know, so it's exciting to see, you know, where players and honestly, if there was more non-EU possibilities, we probably would have brought, you know, a few more over. We wanted to get Delva. Uh, but it was very hard with visas, et cetera. It's been very difficult still. Um, but to see those guys out there, I mean, obviously the pride was was pretty high. Now, you know, I have to treat every other player as a family. But uh, to look at the development, Marquise didn't even play, didn't even get on the pitch until the fifth match of the season and was like, and was man of the match, you know. So, um, you know, he's, it's your first season. Both of them had their ups and downs. But to look at their, you know, statistics, I mean, Marquise Flowers, in my opinion, over 650-plus minutes. I think it was 657, 10-11 games. I think he gave up one cross and one goal from the wide side. I mean, he's probably one of the best man markers, you know, in you know, in the league. Um, 
know, and, but at the same time, still you, know, you have your genuine struggles. It's an adaptation. It's the third biggest field or pitch in all of, you know, Europe. Uh, the width is crazy. It looks, it looks like a mile long and, and there's some ad- adaptations to that. Um, Jet did an excellent job. He played incredible at center back during the, um, our, our cup win last night, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the under 23, uh, which is like, it's always like the division two, but he was incredible in that. He's played again over, I think, 600 minutes this season um, from the right back position. And um, like I said, for both of them to to get that time, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm very proud of them. And uh, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. And it's amazing to see a transition for Pittsburgh players in the future. You know, we're talking to a couple now that might come over. They might, you know, not come over. But to give them that opportunity means that I'm staying true to to my promise, you know, that's that what they're doing will matter. And, and if I can give them an opportunity to succeed, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So Outstanding. Uh, and of course, as you mentioned, the U23s won last night and it's just explain what they, what they're, uh, what they won again. The... Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, so they, they, we won the league earlier this year. I won the league last year too. That was the, so it's the second division was basically, they called the intermediate league. It used to be just division two and so on and so forth, but it's the intermediate league. So we won the intermediate league for the second straight year, which was great. The team mostly consisted of, you know, 17, 18, and a few players in that 20 to 23 range. And then um, they had the Intermediate, intermediate Cup, uh, which they had a few years ago. So this was their first one bringing it back. And um, and it was pretty competitive. Um, but at the end, I mean, the players, it was honestly the best match I saw all season from that side. We won 4-0, which was great. Um, my first time picking up a cup, which is really nice. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It was, I, I, you know, I was excited, but you don't realize how excited until it happens. You always feel cool and calm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at the smiles and the, the medals around Jet, Marquise and the other players and how hard they worked. Um, it was a beautiful experience. It really was awesome. It was fun to lift up a cup. And if all goes well, we'll see what happens. Um, but I know uh, Monscalpe plays college on Saturday. And if they draw and we win, we win the Challenger Cup for the senior side for the first division team. If they, uh, if they lose and we draw, you know, we get it as well. So hopefully for the last game of the season. So next Sunday, if anybody's watching uh, 1230 PM, cause we're six hours ahead, but uh, it's all, all the games are streamed live. Yeah. And, it's, and we'll see what happens. I think we can end the season on a good note. I, I want to lift another cup though. John, I'm, I'm getting used to it, man. I, you know, I'm, I'm only one day in. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I the last cup, yeah. my, my first cup. <laughs> Yeah. What so from from your perspective, what do you spend most of your time? I mean, obviously the team management, you have coaching staff. Although you texted me the one time, you had to jump back into the uh, and 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 handle the the coaching uh, responsibility. But what what are you doing uh, on a day to day basis uh, with the team? Yeah, it's um it, it's it, it's an interesting situation because when I first came on, there wasn't. Um, a lot of directors to carry over or anything like that. So I had to really build, rebuild the team, um, not necessarily from scratch, but close to it. From an administrative perspective, it took time. So I had to fill a lot of duties. I mean, from director of football side, almost all aspects, to be honest with you, for a very long time. Recently, we brought in as a technical director, Alan Buell, senior, um, who's all time, I think, uh, winningest coach for the national team side, um, incredible coach, and, uh, and also just, you know, an experienced veteran. So bringing him in was important. But before that, I was doing those duties. Um, you, there's, I have 137 players and 30 staff members, I think, with coaching staff, et cetera. So under those pretenses, it's a lot of work. And you're covering 
at least early on, you're, you're basically handling oversight. You know, I had the club secretary, Sean Cruz was fantastic. Randall Adorino for logistics director. You start to build a team and understand what is needed um, so that you're not, you know, not too many cooks in the kitchen. Also that I'm not, I'm not juggling too many things. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is, is all of the different departments, uh, departments from the health side for players, from the brand side, from the administrative side, and it's covered <laughs> pretty much daily. Uh, football is a 24 seven job. You know I mean? If you're in it, you know, it could be an owner that just, you know, writes checks or that's just not, not my thing. You know what I mean? I'm not the guy who just sits back and says, guys handle it. But for the first time in my career, I have a full team, administrative staff where, you know, that attentiveness, the detail that, that I try to implement, I'm, I've, found the perfect you know pieces of the puzzle you know what i mean that allow that implementation implementation understand i want to be involved and engaged and like player negotiations things of that nature i just i stay on top of it and that's uh that's very important you know for me so um so yeah there's so many things i mean like for morning night i can you know bore you to death but yeah i mean every aspect i still handle the branding push and and um and like i said even today we just uh we got a agreement uh we'll announce on sunday we got an agreement on a player a two-year deal and uh, very excited. It has been very, very good for us. So I'm excited to make that announcement. And that's what now is. We're going into the window. So we have our targets. You know, like I said, we were a team first six games, one point, five goals, four, 17 against. Um, you know, 17 games later, we've got, you know, 25 point or 24 points. Maybe we'll get uh, three more this Sunday. And our goal differentials is ridiculous. It's like 30 to 12 or something or 11. Um we're in the right direction as a team. We're now all committed to understand what the mission is. Now it's just, you know, again, finding more pieces to the puzzle to allow us a chance to to win in Europe. I don't want to just get to Europe. I want to win. Why, why, why would you do anything else but to, you know, like why be there and not do everything you can to win? And when you're a team that is winning off the pitch as much as Manchester 62 has been, um, if we can win on the pitch, I think, you know, you could see the reaction. Um, just it's it, it has a much bigger effect than just you know us getting a cool trophy well i'm i'm excited for you i'm excuse me <clears throat> i'm really excited for you and excited to to really get caught up and learn um, and see where you are with manchester uh, 62 I, I think this is just great and from afar here in pittsburgh we will be paying close attention uh we'll try to uh, follow um maybe anybody who's out there listening how can they follow uh manchester 62 yeah um uh, instagram and twitter um you, know, you type in manchester 62 I, we're verified on that so it'll be the first to pop up um but if you want to see the games uh there's gibraltar fa tv uh so in europe we have our broadcasting things here but for you over in the u.s if you go to youtube and you just type in gibraltar fa tv you actually get live stream with commentary, you know, and it's it's very professional. And it's free. So, uh, like, for example, the last match of this season um, is us, and it's 1230 on Sunday, and we're against the Lions. And hopefully, if all things work out Saturday, uh, you know, we'll be lifting a cup, which I know would be really special for those guys. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll be uh, paying close attention uh, for, from afar here in Pittsburgh. And always, uh, in, I just always appreciate uh, maintaining regular communication with you. Uh, and who knows Thanks, where things will go uh, in the in the months that will come. But very exciting stuff. Michael, great to talk to you again. And thanks again for joining me on the podcast. Uh, it's It's been really great to have you. It's great to see you, John. Great to see you. Right.